0: Take it slow. Just take it slow. It's an evolution. I think one mistake is thinking that the way that I feel today is the way I'm always going to feel, or the way that my partner feels today is the way they're always going to feel. I'm getting really scared, like, oh, it's going to be awful like this forever or whatever. It's not. Everything evolves over time. Everything shifts. And, you know, if you decide not to come out today, you can always come out tomorrow or next year. And the same for anybody important in your life.
1: On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we're discussing coming out, especially as it relates to the intersection of personal and professional lives. And we're having this conversation with author and therapist Martha Cowpie. We last had Martha on the show on episode 340, which I'm already surprised at how long ago that was, <laughs> to discuss polyamory and therapy as well as Martha's book. Martha Cowpey is a therapist, author, speaker, and educator specializing in complex relational therapy, sex issues, and alternative family structures. She trains therapists all over the world to work more effectively with a broad range of sex issues and with clients who are in open relationships. She's the author of Polyamory, a clinical toolkit for therapists and their clients. And today, we're going to be talking about Martha's own coming out story and discuss ways that you can more effectively... Come out to your friends, family, and the world, and make the decisions about when that's appropriate. So, Martha, thank you so much for coming back on the show.
0: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I just
2: want to take a moment to gush a little bit that ever since we had you on the show, I've I've used your book so often. So wonderful. Both in like referring it to other therapists and professionals, referring it to clients, like utilizing the particular tools and interventions. So I just wanted to right out the gate, give like a preliminary and also secondary plug Uh for your book to anyone out there listening who either works with clients who are non-monogamous or if you yourself are non-monogamous and want some good tools, like really, really recommend your book. So thank you so much for putting it out into the world. How has the response been? to your book in the past few years.
0: Really good. It's super exciting. And thank you for the beautiful endorsement. You know, the thing I love most about having written that book is hearing from people who have used it and who are enjoying it. And I particularly love when I hear like, we formed a book club and we're reading a book together. um, This, you know, a whole group of people in polyamorous relationships or I'm using it as a supplement to my therapy. Uh, it's really supporting the work that I'm doing or I'm there's an audiobook now. I'm listening to the audiobook and I'm oh, really just kind of mainlining this whole concept of differentiation of self and trying to get it into my bones and this stuff makes me super happy. I mean that's why would you write a book in the first place? Obviously it's to help people. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is it's really fun and exciting for me to get that feedback.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to say in particular, I think one of the tools that I found resonates with people the most is the NRE plan or like the how I plan to handle mm-hmm. NRE exercise that you have that I don't think I've seen anyone else out there creating or using something similar. And so I yeah, it, like that's been so such a helpful thing for me to be able to give to clients and to use in my own life, to be totally honest.
0: NRE is a big challenge. People go into a polyamorous relationship and bam, they're an NRE it's really unfortunate in a way that you get the biggest challenge first.
1: For For our listeners, NRE, new relationship energy. The reason I mentioned that is I did have a coworker of mine listen mm-hmm. to the podcast recently and he's like, I did have one question. You kept saying NRE, is that a, oh. like a therapy thing? And so I <laughs> explained it and he was like, oh, that's so simple. That makes so much sense. But I realized that sometimes we take for granted that everyone knows the same terms that we do.
2: Well, Jace, you talking to your coworker about these things, I think is relevant to what we're getting into in the episode today.
1: It it is for sure. That's something that, you know, I was already out in a very public way Mm -hmm. by doing this podcast, but there's still every day those little decisions about, do I say something that kind of points to the fact that there's something out about me? Or do I kind of brush it under the rug? Do I avoid the topic? You know, what, what is it? So I think I'm, I'm sure that will come up in our conversation today.
3: Yeah, to To start out with Martha, you actually came to us and wanted to be on the show again to discuss your journey with coming out. So just to start out, I wanted to kind of see what was that journey that you took in terms of coming out? And can you discuss and and kind of go through your decision process during all of that
2: time.
0: Sure. You know, it's a complicated little twisting story, of course, like everybody else's. But I've been out as a lesbian for many, 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 many years. I have never really been in the closet as lesbian. I came out as soon as I came out. And uh, that was in my late teens, early 20s. So that was a really long time ago. And then, you know, I have had open relationships of some shape, more or less for my whole life. And I didn't identify as polyamorous for a long time, um, partly because of all of the misconceptions and assumptions that went along with it. Uh, For instance, the mythology that people who identify as polyamorous are also really promiscuous. Well, that doesn't describe me. I think of a label as being something that you choose for yourself, as a shorthand way to give other people a way to make assumptions about you that you can tolerate.
2: <laughs> I love that. I love that. Summary. I love that. We... Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying that to write caveat. this down. <laughs> yeah. Putting. Yeah. Write that down for sure. Because yeah, putting that caveat at the end, I think, is so key.
1: It's to give other people a shorthand to make assumptions about you that you're okay with, or that exactly. you can tolerate.
0: That's right. Exactly. Because obviously there is no label that is adequate to describe anybody. Right. There's no string of labels that's adequate. There just is no such thing. The only label that I really feel comfortable with is Martha. If you know me, you know something about me and you probably have a sense of me and an impression of me that I feel comfortable with. But if I'm going to go give you a shorthand for making marginalizing assumptions about me, I'm going to be very careful about what label I pick. So lesbian is a label I feel very comfortable with because I'm in a 28-year-long same-sex relationship. It's kind of a no brainer It's hard to understand me at all without knowing that I'm in that relationship. And also, you know, as identity kind of labels have evolved over time, I would say pan is more accurate, but nobody knows what pan means. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I just identify as queer. But what my life actually looks like is I'm in a same-sex relationship for 28 years. And then, so all of this was just sort of evolving in my life and and going along like it does. And then I started this kind of much more public career where I train therapists. I have an online course training therapists to work with sex issues. I produce webinars. I speak at conferences. I wrote a book a lot of people uh, are looking at me. And I really felt a brand new desire to have some privacy in my life. Mm. The more people looked at me, the less delighted I was with what I assumed they were assuming about me. Mm. So that was really interesting. And at the same time, what was happening was I was at the front of a room with an audience that I never thought I would have and the opportunity to help a lot of clinicians understand a lot of marginalized situations that I didn't think they otherwise did understand. I had a platform. I was like, holy crap. I wanted to protect my platform. I didn't want to just be that polyamorous lady who talks about polyamory. So of course (laughs) she, you know, and I didn't want polyamory to be like the center of my career either. I wanted Mm. the center of my career to be training therapists to work with sex issues. Not the same thing. So I wanted to get underway with that. And then there's been just an ongoing kind of internal question in my mind. Like at what point do I become more sort of aligned with my personal preference to be out and to be known congruently? And then how do I make that make sense within the relationships that are closest to me? And the privacy preferences of the people who are close with me. And I think everybody who has a coming out question, especially about polyamory, it's very much complicated by the fact that your coming out process affects other people. Yes,
2: always, always. Yeah. And it's also different in your situation in particular, not only for all the reasons that you listed, but it's also you know, navigating outness about your relationship format is maybe a little bit different as someone who's working as a therapist versus someone who's working as an accountant. You know, not that there's no impact on the accountant or things like that, but it, but it's like we, I think around the therapy profession, we already have all these mores and conventions around just disclosure in general, right? And like, how much can you disclose about what happens in your private life or like what kind of relationships you conduct. So I want to circle back to that a little bit later. You know, I I think that whenever anyone has a, is grappling with coming out, there's always reasons for and against, right? You know, so it sounds like for a long time, there were a lot of compelling reasons for you for keeping this private, the way that you want to angle yourself as a professional and the way that you want to be showing up in those particular spaces. For you, you know, you alluded to having this personal preference of being out. So I guess I'm kind of wondering about all your reasons for, you know, like what finally tipped the needle for you in deciding, no, this is something that I do want to do.
0: Well, first of all, I think my career is at the point now where it would be hard to destroy it.
1: Mm. Um, oh, that helps. That does help, yeah. So that,
0: that helps. That yeah. helps a lot. Yeah, that helps a lot. But, you know, what I what I love about teaching therapists, about working with polyamory, is when people feel comfortable telling me, um, I really have a problem with this. I can't understand it. A lot comes up for me about it. Help me understand it. And I like being somebody who can get on the inside of that and be beside somebody who's really grappling with it and help. And I am a little worried that by coming out myself, I might lose my opportunity to have people be that vulnerable with me sure
1: mm-hmm. and so
0: i think i've gotten to a point in my career where i have done enough of it that i'm willing to risk it if that makes yeah. sense
1: Well, th- that's actually one of the other things that i wanted to ask about was how that relationship with both clients but also with other therapists has changed if, if you've been able to see that yet like has the impact been as big as you expected? Has it been different than you expected in terms of that way of, oh, I thought I could relate to you as an outsider, but now I'm having to relate to you as you're an insider and I'm an outsider. Have you noticed that change being as big as you thought it would be?
0: I haven't had a chance to notice it yet. So I have two audiences to my work. One audience is therapists and the other audience is people in polyamorous relationships and Um, people in other kinds of relationships that they want help with their relationships. So like the public. And the people that I'm most interested in coming out to are the public. Um, Mm. I'm most interested in, for instance, finding ways to help people in polyamorous relationships to strengthen their relationships. I'm working on that project right now. And I think it's really important to think through some of these issues. It's been an important part of my Kind of trajectory about that to really think through my own coming out issues before i really move into that sphere it's less important to me to be out to the therapists uh, because i think it's less relevant to the work that Mm -hmm. i do with them so for instance as as a coach or a therapist when i'm working with a client who is either queer or gay or polyamorous or in any kind of enum or cnm relationship almost always I come out to them. If I'm in mm-hmm. group and it's marginalized group, I mostly come out to my clients because I think it's fair for them to know that I have some sort of shared understanding of a community and also a risk, I think, of uh, making assumptions about them based on similarities that I falsely perceive between us. Like I think there's a flip side to how that bias works. So I think it's just fair to disclose. So I'm much more concerned about the congruence that I show to the public in that way. Because when I'm training therapists, very congruent about how I train therapists and my personal life kind of isn't really part of it. Interestingly, what I have heard from therapists mostly at this point is, oh, well, we just assumed that.
2: Uh, That was was what I was
3: going to ask because, you know, the three of us, doing this podcast and talking about the things that we've talked about, which generally has been polyamory for almost the last decade, people are going to have automatic assumptions about us and generally that it's that we're all polyamorous and that we're a triad, which is not true. I'm not polyamorous and we are not a triad. And yet, (laughs) generally, that's where people go. So I, I was wondering, you know, yes, you talk about these subjects. And so My mind would go to that a person would automatically assume she must be also inclusive and also in with this crowd, essentially, and polyamorous in some way. And has that been an issue, I guess, especially when you were not necessarily letting people know that in certain groups like the, the therapist group that you were working with?
0: Well for the most part, one good thing about therapists is they're a little maybe less likely to ask a question like that for hmm, no reason whatsoever? Right. O- or it maybe, although actually <laughs> the, the only uncomfortable situations I've had actually were with therapists and and uh, not not with the public and yeah
1: mm.
0: uh, so go figure about that. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I've more heard things like, uh, you know I've always been out to my close friends and people who are close in my life or really close colleagues or whatever. Um, I think it's it's important to me that to feel known, and it's hard to feel known when people are missing big pieces. And I'm in a 28-year-long relationship and a 22-year-long relationship. Mm. So it's not it's inconsequential. Big, big pieces. big, yeah. big, big those pieces. Are, right. Those are big pieces of my life. Um, so I'm out to those people anyway. And so once in a while, I would hear something from someone like, somebody asked me or somebody said, well, Martha is polyamorous, right? And, you know, then I get to hear like what their responses have been. Well, I guess you'll have to ask her, you know, or uh, right. it's not really my story to share. Go talk to Martha or whatever they have chosen to say. So I've, I'm aware that sometimes people talk about me and I just haven't spent a lot of time worrying about it.
1: I wanted to go back to something that you mentioned a little bit before about how when it comes to non monogamy, especially that often you're coming out affects other people as well. That kind of jumped out to me as like, yes, that's true. And, and also in a way, the decision not to be out is also affecting more people. And I guess I'm just curious to, to look at that a little bit. People that I talk to tend to be really focused on just one or the other, either I'm upset because my partner is not out and so I feel like I'm hidden and this is negatively affecting me and I, you know, I'm upset about this, this is a problem or very much the other of like i'm not out or maybe my partner isn't and so i can't be because i really you know want to try to protect them and that it's interesting just to think about yeah you might actually be experiencing both of those at the same time or maybe not even realizing that and so i'm just curious how that how you've seen that show up for you and you know clients you work with or when talking to therapists about how they could help coach their clients about that
0: I think it's a really sticky bunch of issues with lots of kind of ethical subtleties about consent and control and privacy. And it's just thorny business. It's not really super crystal clear where there's just a right answer, you know? Dang it. (laughs) it. (laughs) Exactly. What I tell therapists uh, is never minimize the coming out process that your client might be struggling with. Don't assume that it's going to go easy. Don't assume there are going to be no negative consequences because people lose family relationships, custody, jobs, all kinds of relationships get kind of thrown under the bus through the marginalization that goes along with being in an open relationship, which seriously sucks. And I think we've come a little ways like most people don't get beat up anymore for coming out as a lesbian. So that's progress because I have been harassed on the streets for walking down the street with a female partner in the past. And that hasn't happened for a couple of decades. And obviously it's different in different areas and with different people and trans people are still really struggling. And it's, it's just a, it's tough. And I think liberal therapists uh, and liberal people generally, are at particular risk of saying, well, we've come so far and that really won't be a problem, right? Because we all value diversity. And the truth of the matter is, we're not as good at it as we'd like to believe.
2: Yeah, I definitely hard agree on that one. I, I'm wondering, and I know that, of course, there's always going to be caveats, because like you said, it's always a sticky situation with many entwined, entangled areas of potential, you know, things to think about and worry about. And it's going to depend on people's lives. But you know, do you think that there's a higher chances of a non-monogamous relationship working out if everyone kind of involved in the network is a similar level of outness? Or do you feel like people have pretty successfully navigated having very, very different levels of outness? And I'm not, I mean, i we all want a formula and a pat answer. I know that doesn't <laughs> exist, but, but I don't know. It's something that I've been trying to evaluate also with the clients that I work with and thinking about my own anecdotal data set over several years of working with clients. And I'm just curious about what your impressions have been.
0: I love that question. You know, a big reason why I wrote that book was because in my own life and in my own relationships, a lot of the assumptions that we make about polyamory just are not true. Hmm. And I was like, you know what? I probably need to speak up at some point and say, uh, actually, that's, that's not what I'm seeing. And this is another one i mean i have one partner who's perfectly comfortable being out i've got another partner who is not perfectly comfortable being out and for a number of years i was not comfortable being out but generally speaking it's more important to me to be out than it really is to either of my partners so you know we've got some long-standing relationships here that are standing the test of time despite some strong differences
2: yeah and so if you don't mind sharing from your personal experience since and- you know, these have been really long term relationships, do you feel like what do you feel like have been the compromises that have had to be made or the sacrifices that have had to be made, you know, in order to rectify the fact that this is all multiple people with very different opinions about how out one should be or not?
0: It's funny because kind of outness is then the least of our challenges, I would <laughs> <Sure>. say. <laughs> We've had plenty of other things to grapple with, but outness is a challenge now a little bit as I start to feel like I want to come forward and speak up just because I am a pretty relational being. You know, the way that I started that process was years ago, sitting down with my partners and saying, what do you want to do here? And uh, how do you feel about my choice about this to or not to? And what are the stakes? I mean, we've all been talking about it for easily five years. This is not the kind of thing that I come up with on my own. And then you know, birth overnight and break the news over breakfast. That's not really how I roll.
1: I think even that is a great takeaway for people to realize, like, this isn't just a, oh, yeah, okay, I just decided one day. I mean, I guess for some people it is, but I think it makes sense since there are other people affected by it. And it can, depending on your circumstance, maybe coming out's a trivial thing, but it could also be a really big thing with a lot of risk and kind of evaluating that and realizing, yeah, you know what? Maybe it takes five years or one year or at least several months to really think about it rather than just getting fired up because I listened to a podcast episode about coming out. So like, I've got to do it right away.
0: Yeah, there's definitely no, I've got to do it right away. I think this is sort of the issue of differentiation, which is a relational process. So, you know, the way those conversations have always gone is, This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. What do you think? And what do you think? And what are you feeling? And and what do you think about my decision? Do you think I'm making a good decision? How do you feel about how it reflects on you? And, you know, a conversation where we all get to know each other more deeply through that conversation. And then, you know, I was in no rush and I was in a, a very slowly unfolding process of growing a pretty big career. And so, over time, just periodically, I would check in about it like I would check in about any other big issue that affected all of us. You know, this is why I'm at about this now. What do you think about it? How do you feel about it? What's going on about it? Do you think I'm making good decisions about this? What am I missing that's important to you?
2: Yeah, as you're talking about that, I'm realizing that I think the scenarios where I've seen the most conflict and the most pain and the most heartache among people who have very different opinions about how out one should be, or they're at different places with outness. Usually there isn't necessarily that sense of compromise. Usually it's a situation where one person is like, well, I can't be out, you know, because of X, Y, and Z reason. And so I can't post about you on social media. I have to, we have to go have dates in the next town over. So I don't run into anybody I know, you know, and there isn't necessarily that sense of let's talk about the impacts of this and let's try to make this intentional Let's try to take an inventory of like what are the actual risk factors here and like try to collaborate on this. I, so, I guess that what I'm hearing is there's something about bringing that spirit to it and always that balance of like having good, compassionate, protective boundaries, but not being overly rigid, I suppose.
0: Well, and you don't always get your way.
2: Yeah, Dang really. It. <laughs>
0: Dang it. I mean, I- <laughs> I hate that about life, but you know, every single damn day, there's something I don't get my way about. So there has to be a certain amount of just internal balance about the whole thing, because I have, I have both of those partners. I have the one that's like, sure, I'm happy to be out. Joanne's like, talk about me, name me. I don't care. No problem. And my other partner's like, uh, we can't go on a date, you know? Hmm. So I get it. I've been, I mean, there's, practically no issue around polyamory that I haven't been in both sides of it at one time or another, which really helps give you a little perspective about it all. Uh, And probably makes you a better therapist. I I think
2: it's an occupational hazard of being non-monogamous over a certain period of time. There's always going to be a turnabout where you're going to end up on both sides or all multiple sides of a situation.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the fun things about it as a therapist. It's like, well, you can be all dug in about that right now, but I think it's going to kick you sooner or later Mm. uh, because you'll be on the other side of it. So it's an inconvenient truth that the person who says, I don't feel safe wins. I mean, they get their way or you don't have consent, right? So that's just the way it is. And then, but it doesn't have to be the end of the discussion. So it can be what helps you feel safe? Under what circumstances would you feel safe? What could I do to help you feel safe? Uh, Is there any wiggle room in this? Uh, Where could we go? What would make sense to you? Because it's usually not just a brick wall. If you can lean in with some curiosity and actually find out what's going on for that person who's feeling so unsafe. And
2: I'm also going to extrapolate that those that feeling of a lack of safety or a lack of security, I imagine, you know, is not just something that can come from the person who, you know, maybe doesn't feel safe enough to be totally out, but can also come from the person who feels like hidden, for instance, right? That that can feel like, I don't feel secure in this relationship because I feel like I'm being hidden. And it sounds like it's just important for there, uh, yeah, for there to not be brick walls between us in negotiating and navigating those things.
0: Yes. And there's a question there, I think. It's a fine line between the experience of hiding, I am hiding, or you are hiding me. And mm. I have control over whether I'm hiding. I don't have control over what you're doing. And I'm not sure I should have. So I think there there's just an uncomfortable truth there about consent. If you don't want to disclose this aspect of yourself, I have kind of got no right to ask you to. But also, maybe you don't have a right to ask me not to disclose what my life looks like to the Mm -hmm. people that are important to me and to the world. Does that make sense? What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's when it gets into, like you were saying, of we don't always get our way. And I do think that... I do think in relationship any relationship there's always going to be a push pull and there's always going to be areas of disagreement and i think it is about just learning to like can we can we find ways around this can we find ways to still fundamentally love and accept each other even though we're in different places with this and that gets complicated because the fact that like choosing to be out or choosing to not be out does have impact uh so i guess i'll take the safe answer and just be like oh man that's a tricky one that's a real (laughs) tough one
1: I mean, the, the thing that it brings up for me is that is just the fact that it is an ongoing conversation and that there is nuance to every piece of it, right? To every individual person's decisions about that, as well as how those affect each other. And I, and I, the reason why I want to bring that up is because before we started recording, we were all talking about like advice columnists and newspapers and stuff and how often to be a hit in that area you tend to have to come down pretty hard on one side or another and maybe give people some tough love or maybe even be a little bit mean sometimes because that's like, oh, wow, sensational hot take. But it really leads us to this idea of, oh, well, if I just decide kind of what the right ethical decision is or like what the right thing is to do, then I can just apply that in all situations and then I'll always be right. And anyone who disagrees with me is just categorically wrong. And there's so much of that in that kind of I'll just say some of the more popular relationship advice podcasts compared to ours <laughs> you tend to come down more on that like maybe this isn't actually Hotline. healthy but it's like hot takes uh, and so just kind of to to bring that up as a reminder to people of yeah it's not just a black and white decision it's not just oh if this then do that and now you're in the right but it is this ongoing nuanced conversation that you you can't know every single circumstance that might come up and just make some formula that you can apply.
3: Yeah. And so many of us want, I think, a quick fix and a quick answer. But as you said, this was a decision that occurred over a long period of time and also changed due to circumstance. And your circumstances changed where you said kind of at the top of the show, I feel like my career can't be destroyed now. Like it's pretty undestroyable. And so therefore, I feel more comfortable coming out. And that's, I think, a big, you know, thing that we all have to have to view. There may be certain points in our life where we feel more or less able to do things that might have been more challenging at a certain point in our life than they are currently. And that can continue to change throughout the course of our lives.
0: Yeah, the whole thing evolves. I mean, relationships evolve. I'm thinking about how frustrating it's been for me sometimes to have a partner that doesn't feel comfortable being seen in public with me for instance and that's it's really tough and also when i can lean in with curiosity and ask what that's about what's you know what's going on and what's the fear and what's at stake uh what what are they experiencing what's really going on there then Every single time we do that with any aspect of our relationship, I end up coming around to, Oh, you know what? I withdraw the request. Like I don't, I don't want you to have to go somewhere where you feel so uncomfortable and it's less uncomfortable for me. Like that would be massively uncomfortable for me, actually. Mm-hmm. So the more I understand what's going on for the people who I really care about, the more leeway I have about what I can live with.
1: So we wanna go on to talk about some of these coming out topics more broadly and talk about some ways that people can explore this in their own lives. But first we're gonna take a quick break to talk about some ways that you can support this show. If this is content that you enjoy and want to help us keep putting out there into the world for free, Uh, The best thing you can do is take a moment to listen to our advertisers. If any seem interesting to you, go check them out. It does directly support our show, and we really appreciate your help with that.
3: 18 plus
1: for a long time now we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories things like that it's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection and now not only do we have a fantastic offer but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com which are their sites specifically for lgbtq audiences And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free, discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we
3: love AdamandEve.com and and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just...
2: That's Multi, M-U-L-T-I, at AdamandEve.com, AdamMail.com, or Eve'sToys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. So speaking of things shifting and changing, relationships shifting and changing, I know All of us who've been in this scene for a long period of time have seen a lot of change, right? You know, a lot of transformation about how comfortable people are to be out about non-monogamy, how many people are comfortable talking about it publicly. We've seen an explosion, I think, in resources, in public figures, in celebrities who are out about this. And so the landscape has definitely shifted. But I was wondering that even in this environment right now, like, what are some of the reasons that you see why people may still decide to stay closeted?
0: Other than losing a job, losing a relationship with your mother or your grandmother or custody of your children? All those small things, small potatoes, you know. (laughs) Uh, I mean, gee, those are Mm. not small potatoes, obviously. So, yeah, there's there's that. I I think that's real. Well,
2: um, I and I will just yeah. jump in to say that I appreciate you um reiterating that because that is something I run into for sure. I think like you were saying, where some therapists maybe are inclined to, you know, dismiss or diminutize the stress of coming out that a client may be going through that Yeah, we are still living in a world with these, like, huge, huge, huge huge-ass consequences on the line for some people. Especially certain
3: parts of the world or certain Mm -hmm. parts of the country, for instance. Like, again, the three of us, they live in Seattle and I live in Los Angeles. And at least in my circle of friends, it feels as though there's no way that that would be an issue. And yet, I think to so many people out there, that absolutely is kind of a decision between Am I going to lose my job or my custody of my kid or what? whatever my support network? Yeah, exactly. Any number of things. So, yeah, it's, again, kind of circumstantial based on where you are even in the world.
0: Yeah, it is. I think it's complicated. I think it can be one of those things that has a big value judgment attached to it, too. And I think one of the things I want to put out there is I don't think there should be a big value judgment attached to it. I think it's a personal decision whether you come out or not. It's a complicated one. Uh, It's terrific fodder for therapy or coaching because it's a deep dive into what you want, what you have at stake and uh, moving towards the life that you want and the way that you want to move towards that, which is gonna always surface blocks. I mean, if you're not out already, and there's a part of you that wants to be out. There's also a part of you that does not, or you would already have done it. So there for sure is going to be some internal tension about it. And I think it's fair.
1: I was actually wondering if we could come back to in our professional lives coming out and or even in our personal lives, too. But something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, um, and I'm actually involved with a working group that has to do with non-monogamy and polyamory in the workplace, you know, kind of advocating for more companies to adopt policies, to protect people who are in non-monogamous relationships, as well as looking at how companies might adjust things like their benefits and things like that even to to better reflect this community that is a very large part of their workforce, even if they don't know it. Uh, so anyway, this stuff's all been on my mind quite a bit lately. But the thing I wanted to talk about was the idea of, I guess, that people talk about outness as a binary, like you either are or are not. But I find that in reality, it's a much more nuanced question. And it's almost, it can end up in this situation where there's almost daily decisions of, am I out or not in this particular interaction with this particular person? And I guess kind of navigating that difference between, let's say I want to be out what's the difference between being out in a way that I'm not actively hiding this versus being out in like a, I have to throw this in everybody's face in every single interaction that I have and put it on all of my social media posts and put it on a name tag, put it on my business card. You know, like there's a big world of difference between those two things. And I'm curious, it sounds like you're doing a little bit of that where you're out now, but it's not like you're doing a big press release, I guess, besides being on this show. But
0: <laughs> yeah. you know, it's
1: not like you have to force everyone to sit down and talk about it, which I think is how some people think of it. It's like, oh, I've got to sit down, everyone I know, and give them this announcement, or I've have got to forum. write up this big thing. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, to me, I mean, that, like I said, I've been thinking about coming out issues since I was like 19. And I think you come out for yourself, for your own reasons. And you handle it within your relationships, partly because you want to be known. So, you know, somebody once asked me, like, why would you even come out as a lesbian? Well, because if I don't, you assume I'm straight. And it's exactly the same. So, if I don't tell you that I'm in two significant relationships, you will certainly assume that I'm in one. and especially if one of them is much more hidden than the other. Unless, of course, I write like a 450 page book about it, in which case. <laughs>
2: <laughs> which does help. I heard it think... does help sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Definitely
3: turns,
0: like. turns out, yeah, people start making assumptions. But yeah, so I think I think that's why you would come out, is so that people would know you. And so to me, you would sit down and talk to the people that you feel like don't really know you. They know a part of you and they're the rest of it that they're making assumptions about. They're making incorrect assumptions about you and you want to clear up that record so that you can have a feeling of being known. And so you're paying a price or taking a risk potentially in exchange for your desire to feel authentically known. And the risk you're taking is that they might not be comfortable with your identity or your situation.
2: And I think what I've learned from at least my own experience with this as someone who has been, let's call it, you know, officially out for at least a decade that for me, there are still certain areas of my life where this is a challenge, you know? So for instance, for myself, like obviously I've been professionally out for a long time because that's been the basis of what I do between doing the podcast or between working with non-monogamous clients all the time. And for a long time I've been I guess I would say personally out especially in the realm of, you know, dating or partner acquisition, you know, cuz it's really important to me to make sure that there's some ethics there and people are able to consent and know what it is that they're getting into and things like that. But for a long time when it comes to like making friends, for instance, that's an area that I struggle. Right. Like that's an area where I struggle with is this worth the risk in this interaction to be this vulnerable with someone that I'm getting to know? You know, is it worth the risk to, you know, (laughs) you know, is it worth the risk of the fact that I may end up in a three-hour conversation now with this person where maybe they won't respond very well? So I think for myself when it comes to specifically friends. It's this weird in-between area for me that I still struggle with. And I'm curious about hearing from the rest of you if you feel like that has matched your own experiences of like certain areas of life. It feels easier to step into this and other areas it feels a little bit harder. Or maybe that's just me.
3: Interesting. I I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it comes up in in what I've been a part of in my life in terms of polyamory and then also the podcast in general it does tend to start coming up as I've gotten to know someone a little bit more. There is a certain level of, I'm not going to just disclose that immediately. Because, yeah, it is a potentially vulnerable discussion-based thing that's going to take a long period of time and also some emotional intimacy that you don't always want to have to get into with every single person you made. So mm. perhaps, yeah, although I don't think of it that structured, but it, that has tended to be the trajectory towards which I I start talking about these things with people that I made.
1: I would say for me, and again, this has been on my mind a lot lately, but mm. for me, it's all in professional circumstances. And maybe because I put all my mental effort there, when it comes to friends, I'm like, nope, this this has to be something that I can come out <laughs> with and, and talk to you about, uh, or sure, else yeah. this is not worth it to me. Sure, Because I've got enough friendly social interactions through work where I do feel like I need to be much more guarded and keep more of myself private and maybe even always walk that line of how much do I let them assume all the typical stuff they're going to assume about me. And is that worth even having that conversation or is it better to just have that not get in the way? I think that the thing that's really shown up for me is that since being publicly out because of the podcast so that any person could within two seconds of Googling me, know all of that about me, right? Like there's no, <laughs> yeah. no even pretense of that being secret from anyone who even tries to look about anything about me. That as a result of that, I've found that I tend to be much more withdrawn about my personal life with coworkers hmm. and much less open to any kind of fun, flirty or sexual conversation. Which is like, a, a, you know, sexual harassment's a big thing, and there's rules against that. But it is also a normal part of conversation amongst coworkers, especially who are close, who have a little bit of that, you know, we we acknowledge those things and joke about them. And I find that I've, as a way of protecting myself, have instead withdrawn in that area since I can't really withdraw in my outness about polyamory, Mm. if that makes sense. Like, for me, that's part of the risk evaluation I've had to make.
2: So it's like, do you feel it's like in the work sphere needing to be extra super normative?
1: In the work sphere, almost like really needing to lean into, I am basically entirely asexual and aromantic and this is not a thing (laughs) I think about or talk to you about or have any cares about at all. Because I'm out as being polyamorous and bisexual <laughs> uh, and like all these things. It's right? all over. <laughs> it's just, <Yeah>. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, it's more that. so you so don't it's... want anyone to, yeah, to like, yeah. because
2: like you shared with me recently that like you posted about our book on LinkedIn, which is fantastic, mm. right? On your LinkedIn, which is very
1: scary for me. Right. Which was very scary for yeah, me to do. Which
2: you've built out to be not a LinkedIn that's about being a non monogamy podcaster. It's about your whole other career. I
1: and mean, I do mention the podcast on there, but it's, but I lead with my other career. Yeah.
2: But what the idea you don't want anyone to be like, oh, Jace is this bisexual polyamorous guy and not wanting any now co- I
0: think he's hitting no I think me he's hitting on me.
2: Right. That's what right. I
0: don't want. Mm-hmm. That's actually sounds really similar to my kind of issue, although mine's not about sex. About like how vulnerable are people going to be willing to be with me if they think that everything that I do and teach is pushing at a personal agenda. Yeah. 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 Right. And when the truth of the matter is I have no personal agenda about it. Like, it's fine by me if you are or are not monogamous or polyamorous, whatever. I really do work for people to be congruent within themselves. Yeah, I think that's
2: something I've had to work with and also sometimes struggle with in my own practice. Because the reality is that like a big portion of my practice, a surprising percentage of my practice... Is not working with people who are not interested in non monogamy, or sometimes in helping people uncover, know that they're not non monogamous and they shouldn't be coerced mm-hmm. by a partner into non monogamy, you know? And, it, but there's always going to be that perception from the outside that it's like, oh, if myself and my partner go work with somebody who's openly polyamorous, clearly they're going to be pushing a completely pro non monogamy agenda, you know, and not be able to hear anything to the contrary or, help advocate for any other viewpoint there. So, I mean, yeah, that's definitely something that I feel like I've struggled with in being out with clients at all, even though I think, you know, the benefits of being out with a client like far outweighs that particular risk in my personal experience.
0: And you don't have to be out to your client for them to assume that either. Yes. I I think uh, Uh that that's definitely something that that has happened for me. And I start right out. I really love working with monopoly relationships, as you probably know from my book. And there's just a special place in my heart for people who identify as monogamous and who are considering or actually being in an open relationship. And partly I have that big space in my heart for that because my partner Joanne is one of them. Mm -hmm. And she's a very happy mono. And if she wanted to go have another relationship, she could, but it's just kind of not the way she rolls. I know for sure that it can work. I know for sure it can work in the long run. And I really love working for those people. And uh, I start right out by saying, I am not ever going to tell you what you should do. And if you decide, what at the point that you decide whether you do or don't want to be in this relationship, I'm going to back your play. So... You know, I don't have an agenda that you need to decide to open your relationship or to stay with this person. That's not my job. My job is to help you get clear on what you want through exploring what's possible for you and what you're curious about. You can explore a lot of stuff and imagine a lot of things and feel much more comfortable than you ever thought you would feel and still decide not to do it. And that would be just fine. It's going to be your decision. I'm trying to help people see that thinking about something, dreaming about something, imagining something is not the same as actually doing it. Because I don't think we can really explore any possibility if we're scared that we're going to get boxed into it by not just our partner, but also our therapist. Like, that would never do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that
2: there's so much research that supports the fact that as human beings, we're just really bad at actually predicting how we're going to feel about something once we're actually in it. You know, like once our ideals crash into the real, that then things, things end up feeling very different. We've talked for almost an
3: hour, but we're kind of coming up on the end here. I guess my final question to you would be, if you were to give perhaps a couple pieces of advice to someone who is contemplating coming out, what would you say to them?
0: I think I would recommend that you take a little time to figure out how you think coming out is gonna benefit you. What do you imagine the costs might be to you? And remember that thing about labels and who this is all to serve, you know, mm. the coming out process should serve you. It's not something you owe to anybody. How is it going to serve you? And hopefully it'll serve you really beautifully because you'll get to be known really well and truly by the people that you care about. But if you're worried that that's not what's gonna happen, take it slow, just take it slow, it's an evolution. I think one mistake is thinking that the way that I feel today is the way I'm always gonna feel, or the way that my partner feels today is the way they're always gonna feel. I'm getting really scared, like, oh, it's gonna be awful like this forever or whatever. It's not, everything evolves over time, everything shifts. And you know, if you decide not to come out today, you can always come out tomorrow or next year. And the same for anybody important in your life.
1: Yeah. I, I think in general that that advice is really good. One of just remembering that what you're feeling right now is not necessarily how you're going to feel forever. In fact, it's almost guaranteed <laughs> that it is not how you're going to feel forever, uh, both on the micro scale and on the macro scale, right? These things change over time. We change as humans. And then also that idea that you don't have to do it right now. You know, we we often cheekily say on this show things like don't sign anything in the first year uh, to kind of emphasize this idea that yes you're very excited about this relationship right now but if it's really as good as you think it is waiting a year isn't going to hurt that and I think the idea too with coming out it's like if there's a part of me that's scared this is still going to be just as great a year from now or whenever I decide to do it um, you know that said don't drag your feet indefinitely if it is something you do want to do but I think that's just such a valuable lesson to, I feel like we so often feel like I have this thought in my head. I've got to rush to do it right now. Instead of just saying, you know what? I can take my time. I can also do it gradually. It doesn't have to be a big press release. Absolutely. I think that's such a a valuable takeaway. So thank you for sharing that.
0: I think it's also good to get some uh, advisory help. Mm -hmm. Ask the people who are closest in your life. They may have a perception like, oh, I think your mom will be fine with it. Or, oh, I don't think your mom's going to be fine with it at all. And, you know, they know you and they know your family. That's your advisory staff. I think it's a good idea to get some reflection from other people.
1: Martha, can you tell our listeners where they can find more of you and your work, get your book, all those things?
0: Absolutely. My website is instituteforrelationalintimacy.com. I know it's mouthful. You can just Google Martha Kalpe and you'll find me in like a hundred different ways. My book is on Amazon and everywhere else as well. uh, And there's an audible version as well. Polyamory, a clinical toolkit for therapists and their clients with 25 big old worksheets for your self-help project. Awesome. I am working on putting together a coaching program for people in polyamorous relationships to give a little support to the therapists and the coaches by kind of um, helping people create a good solid skill set for workable polyamory so that they can continue their more depthful projects with the people that they have ongoing relationships with therapeutically or in terms of a coaching relationship. That's on my mind a lot and I'm really interested in helping the therapists do a better job and feel more confident so that the clients can um, have better functioning polyamorous relationships and then helping the coaching clients themselves. Because I definitely can't see them all as a coach. I can't see like hardly any of them as a coach. Mm -hmm. I'm just, just one girl with a (laughs) lot of projects. (laughs) No, but
2: I, I mean, doing the Lord's work, if I may say so, because I mean, yeah, there's just, there's just not enough resources out there like for therapists specifically for therapists and other counselors specifically, you know, um, we're starting to see that change. Like I'm starting to see more people cropping up doing this kind of work of like helping therapists and counselors feel more empowered here. Um, but we could definitely use more. So thank you so much for I think that particular aspect of your work.
0: That's sweet. And thank you for calling it the Lord's work. I think that's awesome.
2: <laughs>
3: that's not
0: usually the feedback I get. So.
3: <laughs> We're saying it a little tongue-in-cheek, but you're
0: welcome. <laughs> I love it. Yes.
3: All righty, everyone. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we have a question for all of you this week that'll be on our social media and Instagram posts. And that is, what is your coming out story? If you are still in the closet, do you think that you will ever come out? The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners on this episode is on the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post on our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash Multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on Multiamory.com.